one more announcement. Just want to remind you guys, I mentioned it last week. Next Sunday, we want to do kind of a town hall kickoff the new year. So about 2 o'clock after the Spanish service, it gives you time. Go get lunch. Come back. And about 2 o'clock, we want to spend some time. Uh, it won't be too long, but we want to cast some vision for 2024. Share with you guys um, some updates. We spent the last couple of weeks doing our prophecy update, all that kind of fun stuff. But we like to make sure that at least once a year, beginning of the year, we try to give you guys an overview of where the church is at. What are some things that um, we see God doing on the horizon? Invite you guys to be a part, do some Q&A, that kind of stuff. And so if, uh, if you consider this your home church, if you are what you would consider yourself like a member of the church, then we would ask you, come on out next Sunday, 2 o'clock, Spanish service will be wrapping up. We'll come in here, spend some time together, and, um, and spend some time as a church. Amen? All right, let's dig into God's Word. You guys can stand as we get ready to read God's Word. You're like, I just sat down. We are back in the book of Thessalonians. We are excited as God has been taking us on this journey. Again, we spent a couple of weeks working through a prophecy update. Hopefully, you are paying attention how many verses came out of Thessalonians as we get into kind of looking forward to the future. So this gets us back into laying a foundation of God's Word. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning, so let's read from verses 1 through 12. I'll read the odd, and we can read the even or highlighted verses together. Starting in verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. You guys can have a seat. Wonderful chapter in terms of setting a bar for a church. And if you guys remember, this is Paul's second missionary journey. He's on his way taking the gospel for the first time into Europe. In fact, we'll touch on that a little bit today. And as he made his first stop in Philippi, which he kind of highlighted there, and now here in Thessalonica, he's only there three weeks. But in that three weeks... God does this radical work in terms of planting the church. And there's this beautiful excitement, et cetera, but there's also strong opposition, as there typically is when we step out and begin to do ministry. And some of that we're going to see today as we get into God's word. In fact, I think if you're following along with the app, kind of one of the titles of the message is this idea of beauty for ashes. How out of oftentimes really complicated, difficult, challenging situations, it's hard to see in the middle, like, what is God doing in this? But yet we're hearing as Paul is laying out some of the, the difficulty, the challenges that he experienced like in this work of the ministry. And then we look back at this beautiful relationship that God has with the, the Thessalonians. We're like, wow, what, what an exciting, what an encouraging, you know, ministry was developed. Now, as I kind of get into to this story, some of you guys, I know you're like history. Oh my goodness. Um, 
So, hey, rewind about 500 years from before Jesus being born. You get the Battle of Marathon, which was kind of a critical battle in history. Two empires kind of colliding. The Persians are coming in. The Greek empires growing. So you got democracy, you got tyranny, all kind of clashing here at this particular battle. Now, I'm not really into the whole Persian-Greek army thing. I'm really interested in the fact that, like, the second half is where we get our word for marathon. All the runners in here are like, yeah, I know where this is going, Right. Now, I don't like to run marathons. My wife, on the other hand, she's got 10. So I married into a running family. I don't know why they run. That's a whole other story. Because the story, if you know the story of the, the, the marathon, right? You guys know how this works. There's a guy who was a day runner. His job was to bring the message from the battle. He was a herald, right? So all my Dub C people here, right? So the herald, it was their job to run with the news. And so here, this guy, famous scene. You know, they're out there. The battle is being fought. You got a... a a few people there for the Greeks, get this massive army, and this guy, um, Phidippides, he goes running back 25 miles to, uh, you know, back there to uh, to Greece, and he pronounces uh, Nico Common, like, hey, that's where we get our word for Nike, we have one, and then he dies, which is the whole reason why I'm like, this is not a good idea, <laughs> 25 miles and you die. Like that's, I mean, that's what this, the story's famous for. It kind of honors that 25 miles. But if you rewind a little bit, the story's actually a little bit more significant. Most people who've kind of dug into the story know that, that really where it gets exciting is that in the days preceding that, before the battle was about to ensue, they were looking to say, hey, we need to, we, we need to muster more tre- troops. And so they reach out, the Athenians reach out to the Spartans, and they say, hey, would you be able to come and help us with this battle? So this guy, in the days preceding it, runs actually 140 miles. Goodness gracious, get a horse, right? But actually, I looked on Google Earth like you can't. The, the, the fastest way to get there is by foot. And so he, he goes on a two-day journey to try to get to, to, to the Spartans. And he's like, hey, guys, can you come for the battle? And they're like, yes, but we have to wait till the moon is full. We're like, no. So he runs back. And he has to give the news, be like, hey, they're not coming. And then he goes out. Now you see why he died at the end of the 25 miles, right? <laughs> the reason I bring this guy up, which, again, if you've been in tragedy, if you've been in those situations where your heart's pounding, where there's something significant, and you think, like, first of all, the idea of running 25 miles to bring the information, you're like, wow. But the thought, you know, that there's an invading army, like I got to run all this distance, to try to muster up the support. And you think, you know, like how far this guy was willing to go to try to rally this where it tells you just how much he cared, you know, about like this whole battle and what was about to happen. Look how far he pushed himself kind of gives us an idea of like, man, look at this. This is why he celebrated. Um, most of you guys know we have kind of a sister ministry, if you will. When we were hungry for 10 years, one of, um, some of the students that we had were from India, Pakistan, different places, China. And, uh, one of my students who was from Pakistan after he got established, graduated, like he reached out a couple of years ago and said, Hey man, we've got these churches in Pakistan that watch you guys there at Calvary Fuller. He's like, would you ever jump in like via zoom? Maybe do like a, like a Bible study with us. We're like, man, dude, that sounds awesome. Let's do that. So it started with one, and then it's turned into like the last year and a half, you know, plus almost two years of ministry, where they gather once a month on Zoom. This is the group of families here, and uh, they'll watch up on Zoom as we go through God's Word together. Really cool to see what God is doing in one of the most unreached, you know, people groups on earth. I had a friend last year who was down in Pakistan, and he was sharing with me, another missionary, uh, about his experience. And one of the things that I didn't know about Pakistan, and if you look up, you can Google some of these. In fact, I think I put a link in the, the app today. But one of the things that's, um, and we're going through the book of Exodus, and so maybe it's a, a similar story, but there's kind of a modern day slavery that one of the things that typically happens is because the, the wages of people are so low, imagine, you know, you got your child getting ready to get married. Imagine, you know, somebody's in the hospital, needs to get cancer medication or something. You don't have the money. So you go what? You go borrow the money. There's no bank to go borrow the money. You borrow the money from a lender. And their idea is, okay, we'll give you the money, and then you work it off. And the way that the debt works is you work in these, um, you, you these brick-making factories, 
And then here's the idea. You make so little money that you end up becoming an indentured servant. And the way that it happens, if you don't get to pay off that, it gets passed down to your children and their children. And it locks in this whole workforce that they can never get out of. And they're just stuck in debt. And it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching. And he's telling me the story because that wasn't what they went to go do. They were just, and, and as they were observing and they had these funds to go do a couple other things, he's like, man, he says, our heart broke. And you can see the guy with the, the shirt on. He was one of the, uh, the, the translators there with the ministry team. And as they were explaining this situation, he calls me, he's like in tears, like, man, you're not gonna understand, you're gonna believe like kind of how this, this whole ministry was unfolding. And he said, we just felt moved in this situation to be like, how much is this guy's debt? It was like $500. He was like, $500. Like, you know, like, let's get this guy out of debt. And so they, you know, obviously it says, hey, look, we've got this, you know, right here. We want to we want to pay off this guy's debt. And now, I mean, this is a real situation. Like there's the people that own the brick making kilns and, you know, they pull out the ledger and they pull out the guy's name. And then all of a sudden, look, look at the look at the look on the guy's face. Look at that look from like this idea of I will never get out from under this debt. And then here's this Christian ministry coming alongside a church. And as they're sharing, it's like, hey, let us pay off your debt so you can be what? Man, is there any more tangible idea of the gospel? And then, you know, they had some other plans, but they looked at each other the night, the next night, and they said, what else could we do with these funds? And so it shifted. <laughs> they're like... Let's just get as many of these people out of this like indebtedness. And so that mission trip ended up like getting 24 different people free, you know, from that idea of indebtedness. He called me, he's just in tears. And I'm like, man. And the next time I was sharing in Pakistan, I was talking with them about that. And they were, they were telling me how this is such a reality. And I was trying to encourage them as a church. Like, how do you as Christians, like, like, this is such a tangible idea of what Jesus has done for us. As we think about the idea of the gospel, we think about this guy, like, Marathon, how far he was willing to go. We think about this idea of, like, I had these funds for this thing, but what if I use these funds for this person? The links we are willing to go to tell someone about Jesus shows two things. Number one, how valuable the person is. And number two, how valuable the message is. I mean, think about it. They used to come up as a missionary when people were like, why are you here? Why did you travel all this distance? And it's like, because there is something so valuable, so important that God wants you to know. And that's kind of what's at the heart of what's going on with Paul as he's making his way in through these different places as he's on this missionary journey. It's like, I am willing to, to navigate all of this difficulty, all of this trial and tribulation. Why? Because you're worth it. You imagine when someone like goes to great lengths, it tells you that that person must think that I'm valuable. Either that or like whatever you have to tell me must be really important if that's what you are willing to go through. Notice as Paul gets into this letter, he says again, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously, he's talking about what he had just experienced there in Philippi, suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, I love this line, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. It's true that suffering has a way of qualifying our ministry. In other words, we've climbed over this mountain and gone through this ravine and we've overcome so many of these difficult challenges so that we could what? Tell you this. It's like that guy that's like, I just ran 140 miles so that I could ask you this question. Like, what do you have to tell us? Like, obviously you have my attention. The links that you are willing to go Give me a sense that whatever you have to say is really, really important. When people see the links that we are willing to go and the things that we are willing to endure, it validates our message. As we begin to kind of look at, at some of this, I remember um, 
We had some friends who had planted a church in Kyrgyzstan and Bishkek in the capital. Kim actually went there before I did for a women's conference. And then I flew back there later that year um, to go back in with this missionary. And as we were there in the capital, it was awesome. And he's like, hey, I want to show you this other church plant, this like small group that we have. I'm like, cool, let's go. Let's go check it out. This sounds great. And uh, most of you guys don't know this, but I don't like, first of all, I get car sick. I don't like traveling in a car a long time unless I'm driving. So he's like, all right, let's just go. It's not too far. And so... Not too far, right? Like these are the mountain ranges, like the Himalayas, whatever. Like we go from where he is in Bishkek to this other place called Karakol. And it, see, this is like the fast route. It was like nine hours, okay? Now the reason I tell you that is these people would make a trip weekly to go minister to this, this kind of remote area where it's like, how did you even get connected to these people? But like the excitement of like, we need to bring you to them. Why? Because that idea of the links that they were willing to go showed them like the gospel and you are so valuable to it. And I was just, I was shocked at the faithfulness that this guy's like, he makes this trip every single week. To, and they were some of the sweetest, most amazing people that like we got to experience that, that, that fellowship on that trip. Now let me ask you, how far are we willing to go with the gospel. Like, we don't necessarily need to get in a car today and go take a nine-hour trip up to some remote village. You might have somebody in your apartment complex. You might have a neighbor down your street. You might have a, a, a friend in a cubicle just right across the way from you in your office. But this idea of, like, how far I'm willing to go is one of those things that we should be processing and thinking as we're looking at Paul's example with this relationship that God gave him with the people in Thessalonica. Again, notice it says the appeal that we make does not spring from error or impure motives. Notice he says again in verse five, we know that we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed because God is our witness. Verse nine, he says, you remember our, our, our toil, our hardship, how we work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel for you. What's interesting is as Paul is writing this letter, why did he have to lay out all of these different things. It's like, why are you having to explain that you're not someone who's trying to be greedy or hypocritical or trying to take advantage of the church? And it's interesting when we look at Paul's ministry, especially coming out of Philippi and going into where he's going, we're gonna see two different ways that the enemy was trying to undermine the ministry. One, we see the physical challenges that Paul endured. The second thing that we're gonna be able to see is like this character assassination, like, the fact that Paul has to kind of defend his ministry because the enemy's already trying to undermine Paul's credibility to be like, this is what this guy's really all about. And it's funny because the enemy uses very similar tactics today to undermine our desire to go reach out to people with the gospel. I like this quote. Don't be afraid of opposition. Remember, a kite rises against, not with the wind. One of the things that I want to highlight to you right now is you guys, some of you guys are stepping up and stepping out in ministry. And we saw this when we went through the book of Acts together. But one thing that we do need to know is that obedience brings what? Opposition, right? It kind of tells you that you're on the right road. When we mentioned before, Paul here, as he's getting ready to go on his second missionary journey, is coming right out of this area as he's coming up out of that, 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 that first there where they stayed on this side, you know, of the ocean. But now he's getting ready to cross the ocean. Why? Because he felt like God had made it really clear. In fact, he saw a vision of this person there in Macedonia, Greece. And it's like, come, you got to come tell us the gospel. So he's got a divine call, a divine invitation, if you will. Like this is God sending him go. They had two other places they went to try to go. Door closed. So we can say that God was leading Paul over there to Greece. Yes, you're following along with me? But as we begin to look at what happens next, the first place he goes, Philippi. You know, as he begins to share the gospel, what happens? One person starts to receive and respond. They cast out the, the, uh, this girl who's demon-possessed. They cast out this demon out of here. And then all of a sudden, all this uproar starts to happen. And they get thrown in what? They get thrown in jail. It says the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Let me say this 
For some of you guys who have always heard that following God's will sometimes always looks like it's, it's prosperous and easy, like, like God's will is always just about green lights and open doors. Sometimes following God's will leads us right into what? Difficulty. That sometimes the leading of the Lord, God opening the door, sending you somewhere might actually put you in what you and I might consider a difficult place. And when we look back through scripture, we can often find where God is leading that sometimes the thing that you are about to encounter isn't necessarily going to be going, oh, this is simple. We look back at David, right? And we understand this whole process of being anointed and this idea that God was calling him to be the next king. And then we see one of the next big movements of the story is he standing in front of a what? A giant. And this idea that God was going to raise him up in terms of preparing him to be king. And there is he standing in front of Goliath. Yeah, we have a giant, but what we have is not a giant obstacle, but a giant what? Opportunity for him to see the hand of God in his life. That was part of the tool that God was going to use, not only to reveal his hand on David, but it actually put him on a path towards the kingdom. And so we see that sometimes the giant, the obstacle, the challenge that you're looking at, and you're like, why in the world am I standing in front of a Goliath? What if God is actually putting you in an opportunity to show you something. We've been going through our quiet time right now in the book of Exodus, right? And we know what's coming up. We got the whole Red Sea moment. And as you see that God specifically was calling his children out, he's fulfilling a time of prophecy. He had told Abraham, 400 years, you're gonna be there. Then I'm gonna deliver you out. God's raising up Moses for this. And there as the Passover, we see that whole story unfold. And on the way out, as God is leaving them, he tells Moses, er, hold on, let me, give you a, let me give you a point on Google Maps here. It says, and then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near uh, Pihiroth, near Migdal in the sea. There they are encamped by the sea directly opposite of Baal Safon. So ultimately God put them in a place where behind them was the what? Sea. And coming down the road, just a little further was the what? Was the army. And so it's God who kind of puts them between a rock in a hard place, if you will. Like Moses didn't get lost and somehow made a wrong turn and now he's stuck by the sea. God has specifically led them to that place where they're really like left with no other options. I'm faced with a sea that I can't get through and I've got an army racing down that looks like it's trying to destroy me. Have you ever been in that place in your life? You feel like, Lord, I'm following you and I feel like I got a sea and I got an army. What in the world am I about to do? Now for us as believers, as you're thinking through this, maybe the place of your greatest difficulty will also be the place of your greatest deliverance. They were not expecting God to part the Red Sea. But in that moment, it would serve as kind of this reminder, this open door of who their God is. Having been in Egypt and seeing the gods of Egypt, one of the things that God wanted to show them who he was. And bringing them to that place of impossibility. And then Moses, put up your stat. Like what? Like all these things that God was doing to bring a revelation of who he was. And what his plans are with them for, were for them. How many of you guys have heard of this guy? Okay. He's got an amazing ministry. I've, I've, I've seen different things, especially around the globe. But he has. He's born with no arms, no legs. Like these are, these are the kind of things that you'd be like, okay, at least it's not this bad. But then you hear someone who's in these circumstances share like what happens when the gospel takes root when it would like, man, where are all my excuses? Here's just a clip of him sharing kind of a word of encouragement as he's speaking to a group. First thing I want you to take away from today is this you will have good days and you'll have bad days but you will always learn something more or something new and you will learn more overall on bad days than good days you will learn more about yourself you'll learn more about relationships you'll learn about life and principles and it'll build your character if you're a person who wants let's say improve on your character of patience let's say don't complain when you're waiting in a line you ain't going to grow in patience until you put in a place to wait it's like you go into a gym and you know you're walking through the front doors and you know you tell your wife or your husband i'm going to the gym you go into the gym and you come in three feet and you do a u-turn and you ride out i went to the gym 
ain't going to do nothing. You got to go in there. What are you going to do? You got to pick up the weights and you exercise the muscles that you want to build. I stand before you without arms and legs, but a very strong man because of the bad days of my life. You know how it is. If you didn't go what you've gone through, you wouldn't be who you are today. And I'm not belittling your pain, and don't worry, I've seen pain in my life, and I've seen not only in my life, but people's lives, and people say, well, at least I have no arms, no legs, and then what am I supposed to say? Well, at least I'm not an African orphan who's dying at four years old, and I met that person. What about the 10-year-old girl that was bought for 700 US dollars in Mumbai and kidnapped as a sex slave to have 350 clients before the age of 13, pregnant at 12, put the baby under the bed while she works on top, abandoned by her family. After she pays her debt of 700 US dollars after three years with her child, she leaves on the streets of Mumbai hoping for a new life. No family, no job, no food. Her baby needs food. She gets raped, beaten up on the street. She comes back to the only way that she knows how to make money. She goes back to the brothels. She gets pregnant at 15 the, the second time, and then that child dies. And at 20 years old, she comes up to me. Yes, I have met this woman. She comes up crying. She says, Nick, I just found out I've got HIV AIDS. And I got fined for being a prostitute. What do you say to that? You may have arms and legs, but unless you know three things, number one, who are you and what your value is? Number two, what is your purpose here in life? And number three, what is your destiny when you're done here? If you don't know the answers of any of those three questions, you're more disabled than I. You are more disabled than I. These are three things that he highlighted. And it's true. It's often in those moments where we're brought to our weakness that sometimes these are the things that are revealed in terms of highlighting our priorities, etc. This would be some of what comes out of Paul's ministry as he faces overwhelming obstacles, being put in prison, being beaten, being slandered, all the different things that come out. But at the end of the day, because he knows who he is, and really even more importantly, that whose he is, these things actually become confirmation that, man, I am right where I am supposed to be. You're like, what are you talking about, Caleb? Well, remember, before he was called Paul, he was called Saul. And as he was on the way of the road to Damascus, and he was there persecuting, going to put Christians in jail, he comes and has an encounter with Jesus, a radically life-changing encounter with Jesus. And there is, he gets knocked off his horse, which oftentimes you have an encounter with, with, with God. It does. He's bigger, greater than I am. It kind of knocks me off my track. And then he says, hey, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute you? who? Me. And so here, as God begins to bring uh, Ananias to come and lay hands on Paul, there's this revelation that's spoken over Paul that sticks with him. Because when he shares his testimony, he highlights these things. And what's spoken over him is to say, go, this man is a chosen instrument to proclaim my name to Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Notice verse 16, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so this idea that God was going to use Paul greatly highlights, man, I'm going to use you to testify before kings and, 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 and you're going to be used to reach out to the Gentiles and to the Jews. However, you are going to suffer for my name. And so there is this confidence. God is calling Paul. You, 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 you've come in contact with me. I know who I am, but I know whose I am. You are a chosen instrument of mine. This part for us as believers, where I begin to be able to, to walk through that idea of, okay, this is more than just, okay, I come into church. I've got a relationship with a God who's calling me into this relationship, just like a, a, a parent would with a child. Just like we would in the military with my, my commander and chief, you are a chosen vessel of mine. And when I know this, when I know that God is calling, that God is leading, then no matter what I face, there's a confidence to know that I'm not alone and that God is in what? Is in control. Because I like this as uh, when I was a chaplain and you look at this idea of the five stages of grief, this is the person who kind of broke that down. They, they say this in terms of coming out of all um, her work with uh, dealing with people that were um, 
near end of life, it says the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people don't just happen. And you can look around this room and you can see some really amazing gifted people right here in this room who love and support, but often that was forged through brokenness, through difficulty, through trial. And when we're looking at Paul's life and we see all that he went through to go out to Philippi, to go out to Thessalonica, and we see that each different place that he would go, he would endure beatings, he would endure challenges, he would endure all kinds of stuff to say, why would you do that? Now, notice, as I was saying a minute ago, as we were rereading, you were like, why does Paul keep defending himself? Why does he have to give, you know, these qualifications that he's not being greedy, he's not being covetousness, that he worked hard, that he wasn't trying to take advantage of any? What is it that's going on that makes it so Paul has to write these things here at the beginning of this letter in chapter 2? And as we look at this idea of Thessal uh, the letter in the Thessalonians, we often highlight both the man and the message. And as we look here, the gospel is true. This is important. The gospel is true regardless of who shares it, but the message can be hindered or helped by the messenger. Amen? I mean, the reality is the gospel is true, period. Who Jesus is, what he did, is it a declaration? It is not just information. And the challenge is it can be helped or hindered based on the messenger. We've seen it. We live in a day and age where we get news stories about churches that are doing really well and then some that are not. Just like when we look in the book of Revelation and we see churches where God says, hey, good job. And there's other churches where he's like, hey, we need to deal with this. So when we look at this aspect of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see there was something that was going on behind the scenes that Paul was actually addressing we live in a day and age where we see this all the time in our social media. This idea of character assassination. Notice, again, we look back at our letter as Paul is writing out and he's responding to some of these things that were going on as people were going trying to undermine the message of the gospel. It says, for the appeal we make doesn't spring from error or impure motives or we're not trying to trick you. Again, it's not this idea that we're, we're, we're putting on a mask to cover up greed or even this idea that we're trying to somehow take advantage of you. Why is Paul saying these things? Because someone else, was going out and making this case that this guy, Paul, who's out here preaching this message, well, he's really out here to take advantage of you. In fact, some of the things of why he's putting these in the letter, notice some of the different accusations that were being out there leveled against Paul. This idea that, oh, well, back in Philippi, this guy was, well, he had to get put in jail. This idea that Paul is kind of crazy. He's delusional. He's making some of this stuff up. He had impure motives. He was trying to take advantage of you. He was deceptive that Paul was a man pleaser, that he just wanted money. He was some, somehow a dictator, that his idea was all about getting glory to himself. These are all different ways that some of the people were trying to undermine the ministry of Paul. Now, we remember the phrase, sticks and stones may, but words, now, the reality is we say that but truth be told, most of us can still probably remember some of the words. Those scars take a lot longer to heal than probably the physical ones. We can still remember some of the things that people would say behind your back or about to your face or the different moments. And we realize that as we move forward in ministry, yes, Paul would encounter, he would be put in places where following the Lord, sharing the gospel, put him in some very dark and difficult places. But what it also opened him up to is this idea not just of these physical attacks, but there were these ones that were going on behind the scenes as well. And I know because I've talked in counsel with some of you guys that for some of you following Jesus, walking in his will, walking in obedience, has opened you up to different challenges where you've got people speaking behind your back, people saying different things about you, that the idea of trying to follow a life, of walking in obedience, serving the Lord, Sometimes you feel like rather than those arrows hitting the bullseye, they're hitting you and your back and your heart. Question is, how do we respond? Because like I said, we can look online and we see like this is, this is actually what most of the stuff that happens, the interactions that are online. Couple of things that we need to know. Number one, don't what? Don't be surprised. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said this to his disciples. If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. 
right? As Paul is laying out his case and he's going down this mission, there is this observation that going in, trying to be a light, there will be those people who will have all kinds of things to say about you that aren't true, that I don't want to undermine you, they want to undermine your credibility. Jesus was telling his disciples when he's doing the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Some of you guys, because of the light that's shining through you, you've felt and experienced this, right? This idea that people persecute you and say all kinds of evil things because of Jesus. As we take it another step further, number one, don't be surprised. Number two, don't let it be true. Notice as Paul goes on to, to share in his ministry, he's highlighting some of these different things and he's making a case to them. Peter would say it this way, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, as he's talking about this idea of encountering difficulties for the sake of Christ, he said, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? Right, he's saying, if you experience persecution difficulty because you did something wrong, there's no blessing in that. He said, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before the Lord. He says, hey, if I'm doing something wrong and I get the consequences, that's not bringing honor to God. But hey, if I'm experiencing all kinds of this opposition because I'm following Jesus, then it's commendable before God. Let me say this. Sometimes the biggest hindrance to Christ isn't Christianity. Sometimes people think that the struggle with people, some like responding to the gospel is this idea of like the church and all the practicals of Jesus coming down to, to earth, dying on a cross, resurrecting. But when I talk to different people out there about the gospel, sometimes what I have found that the biggest obstacle to, to Christianity, uh, uh, to Christ isn't Christianity, it's what? It's Christians. And you guys have probably heard this as well. And why do I say this? Because we are living in a day where there are all, all kinds of different examples out there, people claiming to be what? Christians, except they don't represent Christ. They don't represent Jesus. I could have, like there's all kinds of YouTube clips and videos that I could like highlight and show you even some of the things that Paul was talking about. People that are like out there to try to get your money or try to get to, to take advantage of you. There are all kinds of people that are doing that. Listen to Jesus' word. This might be one of the most sobering verses in the Bible. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He goes on to say, many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. And so when we begin to look at this, whether we're talking about counterfeit Christians, which sometimes we deal with the parable of soils, and we talk about like the idea of the wheat and the tares, they look just alike, and there's this idea at the end of the, the, end of the age, it's going to become clear. But there is this sense that there are people who know Jesus' name, who want to go out and do things in his name, but ultimately when they stand before Jesus in heaven, the implication is, depart from me, I never what? knew you. The knowledge isn't just like this idea of information. The word there that he's talking about in terms of knowledge is about relationship, right? Like we have no relationship. You might know my name. People try to cast out demons in Jesus' name. The name of Jesus is powerful. Like Jesus' name is powerful in and of its own. Even the demons tremble. They know his name. That doesn't mean that they're in relationship with him. And so this scary thought, and Jesus said, look, as we got into this, as we were looking at the end times, there'll be lots of people that'll come in Jesus' name, proclaiming multiple different things. And you've seen it. There are people out knocking on your door right now to want to tell you a whole different story about Jesus. And as I get into these conversations with people, I often come down and they say, okay, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about him coming back. So this is one of the clarifiers. When you want to lower who Jesus is, or you want to lower what, what the Bible says about him coming back, all of a sudden I find out real quick, we're not dealing with the same Jesus. The scary thing is there are people out there who will, in Jesus' name, do all these kinds of things. And this is one of the things that we need to pay attention to. I don't want to be one of those people. One of my favorite, as, a, as someone who's involved in coaching, I love this quote. John Wooden, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is who you really are while your reputation is merely, merely what others think you are. Like I can't control what other people may be out there saying about me, 
right? It happens. It's part of doing ministry. Some of you guys have experienced it. I try to go out there and try to like change every single misinformed thing that someone does or doesn't think about me. It's like, I can't control all of that. But what can I control? My character. Who am I when no one is looking? And if you notice, Paul addresses some of these different ideas that are out there. And again, why is this stuff important? Number one, it talks about what a healthy church should look like. If you were to go back and look at what Paul is saying, a healthy church isn't interested just in your pocketbook. Healthy church isn't interested about the pastor getting from you for himself. The healthy church isn't just about us. It's about what we're doing in terms of reaching the world. We're going to see that from Paul in just a minute. But also for us as Christians, I love what Paul's response is. He's not tearing those other people down. He says, look, I want you to see in my life something really important. And what I would say is it's, this is what fruitful Christianity looks like. He's pointing to the fruit. He's pointing to say, this is how my life is a reflection from Jesus. If you're looking at these other things, you go, okay, I don't want to be one of those counterfeit, you know, how would I know that I'm not, that I'm the real deal? As we look here, notice what Paul describes about his relationship. Remember, he's like, man, I went through all of this in Philippi so I could get to you with this message. This message was so valuable. You guys received it like the word of God. Like we went through all of this stuff together, but then look at this, verse, verse uh, seven and eight. He said, instead, we were like young children along you, among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardships. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. I mean, Paul is using language just like we would to describe our family. He's looking at these Thessalonians, these Gentiles, right? Whom he is now reaching out with the gospel and he's describing a love for them that is a reflection of God's love. And he said, look, I didn't come here asking you for anything. In fact, the opposite, Paul as, a, 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 as someone who also had a trade, was a tent maker and he was able to work, take care of his own needs and say, look, I just want to preach and, and share the gospel with you free of charge because I don't want anybody accusing me of things. That's, that's how we served among you. He says, you are witnesses and so is God, how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comfort, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. For some of you guys who have dealt with those things that people will say behind your back, but never to your face or say something to your face that they're saying differently behind your back. A couple of things that we, um, we see from Paul in terms of like, what is in my control? Here's another good quote. You might be the only Bible that some people ever read. So the question is, are you a good translation? Right? What can I control? My character. So what is it as Paul, as a believer, as someone who's commissioned to say, look, my job, my role is to go out and bring the gospel. In doing that, I might encounter all kinds of obstacles and challenges and tribulation. People are going to say things about me. This is what following Jesus, though, looks like. And the first thing he says, look, Paul reflected the father's love. Remember how we were talking about with this idea of marathon, how far that guy was willing to go to bring that message or ask that question. For Paul, this idea is to say, look, God loved you so much. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only son. Like part of that message that we're bringing is this idea of look at how far God has gone for you. That's why I'm here. This is what I'm here to tell you. So much so that Paul backed that up by letting this idea of loving them and serving them, it cost him something. He was willing to say, look, I'll work. I don't need anything from you. In fact, the opposite, I'm going to give, I'm going to serve. I'm going to let the love, kind of like we were talking about with the bricks, right? Like I could be here trying to do this other thing, but I'm looking to say like, what can I do? What can I give to demonstrate the message that what I'm saying is true? And even more than just sharing the actions, which is important. I would love if your coworkers or your family members saw some of these things. But at the same time, I still have to open my what? My mouth. In verse nine, Paul says, and we, we declared, we preached the what? The gospel. Again, it's a declaration of what God has done. 
This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. At some point, people begin to be like, why are you doing these things? Why do you, you know, show up and serve and hand this stuff out or do these? I mean, all those good deeds are great. Jesus says, when you do them unto the least of these, you do them unto what? To me. But whose name do we do them in? Right? Am I doing it just in the name of like good works? Or is this about doing it in the name of Jesus? Verse 10 the idea is Paul's integrity affirmed his message. Like there is a point, like I said, that, that the man can undermine the message. If my life doesn't reflect the message that I'm communicating, as we look at some of the pastors and the other people that we could look online and we say, okay, that's probably not a good idea of the gospel. Okay, but am I looking in the mirror and am I asking the question, does my life reflect the message? Is my integrity affirm the message? Because that's what Paul was pointing to. He could point and he could look at his integrity. He could look at what he was doing. And he could say, look, this affirms, this testifies to the message that I'm telling you. And then lastly, as we look at the way that Paul was communicating to the Thessalonians, he didn't shrink back from pointing out those areas that weren't in alignment with God's word. That ultimately, when we're looking back, okay, I'm a faithful minister. We're looking at fruit. One of the other things about the fruit is not being afraid of communicating what? Truth. We need to speak the truth in love. It's not love if it's not truth. It's not truth if it's not done in love. And so Paul lovingly corrected poor behavior. He told them, hey, this right here, God wants to deal with this. Now, as we think about this for ourselves, as we're getting back into the book of Thessalonians, we're looking at the links that Paul was willing to go to declare the message of the gospel, the beatings, the challenges, the darkness, the, the change, the character assassination. We're like, why does Paul do all this? Because the real example starts from whom? Yeah, how far did Jesus go to demonstrate the message? For God so loved, the world that he gave. It starts. This is the motivation for you. This is the motivation for me. And when we look, right, at just how much God gave, say, this is how much I love you. He didn't even withhold what? His son. And that tells me not only how valuable I am, but it tells me how valuable the message. This is how much he was willing to pay, to sacrifice, so that you guys would have this message. Guys, as we're getting back into the book of Thessalonians, as we're getting back as a church is saying, God, what do you want to do in and through us? It's challenging. Serving the Lord, it's going to come with obstacles. You're going to encounter opposition. Obedience brings opposition, but opposition creates an opportunity. People will see just how much they say, okay, he really believes this. Look at what he's willing to go through. Look at what he's willing to grow through. As I'm handling all these different things, it's not like, oh man, I must not be in God's will. Look what I'm facing. But the fact that I'm in this position, beauty out of ashes, how does God want me to be faithful right in the midst of this dark and difficult Red Sea moment? So the people begin to say, what he must be talking about must be true. Look at how he's holding on to Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, as we're getting back into this letter, we're looking at Paul's example, his heart for the Thessalonians, Lord. Lord, we believe that there is a, Lord, there is a city of people all around us who are in desperate need of this message of hope, this message of rescue. Lord, our hearts kind of leapt and churned when we thought about those that might be caught up in slavery in Pakistan and thinking about how one simple act could change someone's life. And Lord, here we are today and people are caught up in slavery and bondage. Lord, maybe it's not financial, Lord, but they're caught in this idea of guilt and shame and enslavement and hopelessness. And yet, Lord, we have a message of rescue. We get to tell them about what you've done we get to tell them about what you've done in our lives. And Lord, we don't have to run a marathon to tell them. But Lord, we might need to go down the street. We might need to knock on a door. We might need to send a text. 
And it might mean, Lord, that we're going to encounter some backlash, that we're going to encounter some challenges, that we're going to encounter some opposition. And Lord, I would pray for anyone right now this morning who maybe feels like, Lord, I'm, I don't want to be one of those counterfeits. I don't want to be one of those people who stand in front of you and say, Lord, I knew your name. And yet there's this fear to say, what if he says, I never knew you? If your heart's kind of pumping right now and that's you just kind of worried about that, we can make it really clear before you walk out of this room. You can have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and I don't need you to pull out your pocketbook. I don't need you to make any special uh, thing to the church. No, right now this moment is about you and Jesus. And today is the day that you can say, Jesus, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to receive your gift of life. I believe that what you did on the cross was to pay for my sins. And the resurrection shows that you are worthy of my worship. And I want to follow you. I want my life to reflect you. And like Paul I want you to reveal how I can be used for your kingdom and for your glory. And that's it. Brother, sister, if that's you for the first time, as you're just sitting there thinking about it, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, nobody's looking up just yet, just raise your hand with me just as a way of acknowledging, yeah, that's me. That's me taking that step of faith. That's me grabbing on to that promise. Amen. Amen. And again, for the, for the believer in here who's thinking, I just find it so hard to talk about Jesus. I find it so hard to try when I'm working through all this stuff on my own. I'm overwhelmed. I'm tired. I'm scared. I'm confused. Can we just pray for you right now for the outpouring of his spirit? So like Paul, you don't have to feel like you're doing it in your strength. You've got this reservoir of courage and boldness comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I would pray for each one of my friends in here who are thinking, Lord, of this idea of just what it would look like, Lord, for them to endure, to live a life like Paul that was looking for, for each opportunity around every obstacle to say, how can I use this as an opportunity to point someone to Jesus? Lord, I would pray that you would pour out your spirit afresh on them I pray, Lord, that while they're enduring whatever challenge, whatever health crisis, financial crisis, family crisis, Lord, that, that this would be an opportunity, Lord, for them to show, God, their confidence, their trust, their faith in you. And Lord, would you anoint their lips? Would you help them as they commit to saying, I need to tell people about Jesus? Lord, I pray for those that are dealing with wounds from the things that people have said, the things that people have done, all because they're trying to follow Jesus. I pray today, Lord, that they would hear just that little glimpse of what they're gonna hear in heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. God, would you heal, would you encourage, would you strengthen them to the task at hand? We love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Let's stand.